0: If you uh, would open your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, I thank the Messiah, Jesus our Lord, who gives me strength, that he's considered me faithful and has appointed me to his service. Verse 13, in the past, this is Paul talking to his protege, Timothy. In the past, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, And a violent man, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in my unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed toward me, along with the faith and love that are in the Messiah, Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves complete acceptance, (laughs) that to this world, Messiah came sinful people to reclaim, and I am the worst of them. But for that very reason, I received mercy, so that in me, as the worst sinner, the Messiah, Jesus, might demonstrate all of his patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. And now to the King eternal, the immortal, invisible, and only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my child, verse 18, I'm instructing you in keeping with the prophecies made earlier about you so that by following them you may continue to fight the good fight with faith and a good conscience. By ignoring their consciences, some people have destroyed their faith like a wrecked ship. And among them were Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Let's pray. Jesus Those are serious words. And I just pray, Lord, that they would be a light for us this morning and a lamp for this journey that you're taking us on. I pray that the words aren't just academic, but supernatural. In Jesus' name, amen. You might have noticed a, a, a pile of lumber on the front and thought, man, has Shannon not been doing her job? Like, why does the stage look like this? Yeah, I assure you that is never. never, no one has ever thought that Shannon's not doing her job. There's this pile of wood here that is a visual that will take place over the next month. Because it's just old wood, just wood, that by the end of this year or end of this month, is going to be a, uh, a, f- a farm table. Well, where I was from, we just called them tables. <laughs> we all lived on farms. So. <laughs> You're going to witness a transformation of something that seems to be useless, that seems to be in scattered and disparate, built into something useful for your family. And by the way, at the end of January, we're going to give it away. And the way that you get entered, this is, I've we've never done this before. Is it cheesy a little bit, um, unless you win the table, then it ain't cheesy, right? We want you to, and for some of you already doing this, for some of you, though, you work. You know this is hard. What I'm about to ask you to do is not easy, especially if both of you are working. I'm going to ask you to, at least three times a week in the month of January, reclaim your table for your family. Have dinner with your family three times a week for the month of January as a whole family. And right before you put your, I'm saying no technology, so right before you put your phone in the tech tank, you know, your teachers have them, just put it in a, you know, in a goldfish bowl next to, without the water, next to your counter, wherever you put them. Nobody brings us to the table. But I'd love for you to take a picture of it, tag the church in it, because I want everybody to see what it looks like when we're reclaiming our family for the kingdom of God. And at the end of the month, like I so said, we're going to give this table away to a family uh, Who's been participating in reclaiming your table? The picture of this is, uh, by the way, Steve Adams. Uh, where are you, beard? There you go. Yeah. Um, isn't his beard so thick and lustrous? <laughs> I don't know if you've you've been using a new cream rinse or not, but it, it looks really good. <laughs> Stephen is a uh, capable, one of our many capable carpenters in this room, and he is going to be building that for us himself. So next week, this will look a little more like a table, and then by the end of January, this will be a full-blown table, and uh, you can take it out that day, whatever family wins it. So the point of this whole exercise is that Jesus' expertise is taking something useless and making it useful, taking something worthless and making it worth everything. He was the son of a carpenter. Why on earth? He could have chosen anything. He could have been the son of a king but the son of a carpenter because carpenters are experts at taking something and making it into something else. And what happened in Paul's life is the quintessential example of being one thing and made into another. And in Paul, you see that his heart changed and his head changed that he had a change of heart and he had a change of mind. And when you look at the list of things that he was, I mean, the dude was a blasphemer, right? But he was changed into a blesser. Blasphemy, that kind of comes from the heart a little bit, right? He was a persecutor, killing, literally not a good guy. Went from a persecutor, changed into a protector. He went from violent to virtuous and Implicit in this is that I, he was ignorant and made wise because he actually says that I was ignorant. I was blaspheming, but I was ignorant. I didn't know. And what we see in this, and what we're going to see is how Paul's heart was changed and how his head was changed. See, Paul's heart was changed on, 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 the, on the Emmaus Road, like it, the Damascus Road. Like he was changed in that moment. His heart was, but his head wasn't. In fact, there's this mysterious thing that happens about midway through the book of Acts early on, and actually where Paul's there, and then he's gone, and then he shows up again, and Galatians 1 tells us he was gone for 14 years. And I think it was part of that journey was he was going, for, I, I used to think this, but now I think that. Repentance is really simply that. I used to think this, and now I think that. And it took 14 years for Paul to say, I used to think this, but now I think that. This journey of being taught from ignorant to wise. But it started with his heart being changed. And he says, I am the, this is the three things we're gonna hit really quick. He says, I am the worst. And then he says, I am the worst, but I'm the best. He actually says, I'm the worst like two or three times in this. And he says, hey, but because I'm the worst, I'm the best. And then he shows us how Jesus changes us from worst to best. I'm the worst. Doesn't that just hurt your ego ego a little bit, the the modern sensibility to say that I am the worst? Like you hear a lot about the snowflake sensibilities, but doesn't that just hurt your feelings to say that I'm the worst? I I know that it hurts Oprah's feelings. I know that if you were to look at modern day thinking, and a lot of modern day so-called theologians, when you hear the term progressive theology, what they're saying is, I was born good. I'm born divine. And so all I'm really doing on my walk with the Lord is discovering how awesome I actually am. And look, you you laugh at it, but when you hear the name Rob Bell, Brian McLaren, and I'll say it in our own community, a guy named Stan Mitchell, when they're talking about progressive theology, that's at the core of it. A lot of the stuff you hear about the morality issues is a sideshow. It's their picture of who we are, the the core of the gospel. The gospel is that what Paul says here, I am the worst. And you can look at that and think, well, maybe Paul was just, you know, maybe he's just doing the false humble thing, right? The fishing for a compliment thing. I'm the worst. No, 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 Paul, you're not the worst. That Alexander dude, total jerkwad. He's not, you're not the worst. You could say that maybe he's just factually inaccurate, that he didn't do the math right, that there would be worse to come along beside him. But you can't say that he didn't, this wasn't a deeply held conviction in his life. It was in 1 Corinthians, early on in his ministry, where he tells the church at uh, the Corinth that, I'm the least of all the apostles. He starts off like, I'm just the least of the apostles. And then, after he walks with the Lord a little bit, he promotes himself to the least of all the saints, Ephesians 3 7. Not just the apostles, I'm just the least of all the saints. And then here, 1 Timothy, written later in his progression in his walk with the Lord, he's like, no, 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 never mind. I'm just the worst. I am the absolute worst. And the question is, how could he say that? Is it true? Is it accurate? And I believe that it is. I believe that all of us can say with absolute confidence, I am the worst. And here's why. In Christianity, the, the, the story of Scripture is Two acorns, let's say this way. There's two acorns. They're the exact same. It's an acorn. One of them drops in soil, like North Dakota soil, but in the summer, like when it's real nice. And the other one falls like in, I don't know, a cistern somewhere. One acorn is going to grow into a great and mighty oak. The other one will maybe grow into something little. But it isn't about the acorn. It's about the environment that it's in. And so sin is that we're all, we all start with the same. And it's, look, if you didn't turn into Hitler or Napoleon, it isn't for a lack of talent. It was just the wrong environment for you for that. Our environment is Williamson County. Our acorns are in this soil. And what is growing out of that soil? Frazzled schedules? Trying to control everything? Trying to make sure that my kid gets everything the best because if I don't, then the whole thing's going to fall apart and he might die and then it's all over And if he didn't get into soccer when he was three? (laughs) Or... I got to get this. Uh, I could live a lot more simple if my neighbors would. But I'm telling you, I didn't even think, I swear this is true, Donna Holly, my neighbors, Dave and Tammy. I, it never occurred to me that I needed a golf cart. <laughs> Out on the farm, <laughs> but now I kind of want a golf cart, like a lot. <laughs> And there's nothing wrong with a golf cart. Understand, I'm not saying if you have a golf cart, repent. I'm not saying that (laughs) at all. But I'm saying at the core of it, there's this thing where my acorn has fallen, where if I'm pursuing something that Jesus hasn't called me to pursue, the acorn might be growing in a different kind of soil. Augustine, his book Confessions. A handful of you might have read it. If you've been to Bible college, you've probably forced to read it. He talks about apples in an orchard, the the neighbor's orchard, and that he tells about as a child. And And he's literally writing this as like a sense of, I'm a terrible person because of this, because of my sin. And he would go and he would steal apples from the neighbor's orchard. And he says in his book, this is Darren's paraphrase, it had nothing to do with the apples. I wasn't hungry. We had plenty of apples. We didn't even eat the apples. We threw them to the pigs. It had everything to do with the fact that my mom said no. And then it's all I could think about was the apples. Because it wasn't about the apples, it was about the sin. It was, to put it differently, the way that what Augustine was saying, had nothing to do with the apples. It was everything to do with, I am the Lord of my life. I am going to be in control of this operation. And from the very beginning in the garden, isn't that what it was? I will... The pride in my heart, I, he's, God is holding out on me. And I can do this better. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm going to decide what is good and what is evil. The sin, the, the, the New Testament is basically missing the mark, and you've heard that before. But the mark that you're supposed to hit is I am not the center of the universe, God is. He doesn't rotate around me, I rotate around him. But by putting myself in the driver's seat, Satan's original sin was pride and equality. I want to be equal with God. He will rise up to be equal with God. Pride that I can do this. I will decide what is right and what is wrong. And that starts at us from the earliest age. Your little beautiful babies when they're just screaming. Joel and Michaela, little baby screaming this morning. What was your baby saying? I want it my way, Now. That's what happened to Nora. She just wanted her way. She's a baby. That's from the earliest days. We wanted our way from the core of who we are and through. And here's the thing what Augustine was saying was that the difference had nothing to do with the object of the sin, but the sin itself. So the sin is I'm going to be the Lord of it. So whether I am Hitler, whether I'm stealing apples, it's the same sin. And the only difference, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that by the grace of God, I am what I am, is where your acorn happened to fall. So because of what happened because of the fall of man, the enemy has claimed our lives, and we, our acorns fell into this earth, growing up sinful until Jesus comes along. So we can say with confidence that I am the worst, that I'm not divine, that I'm human, and that because I'm the worst, I'm the best. Because that's what he goes on to say. And it doesn't. that actually feels weird to say too, doesn't it? Because I want you to think I'm humble. So if I say I'm the best, I'm like, well, I, you know, I'm really saying I am the worst, then you can say I'm the best. I just don't want to say it at all, because I don't want you to think I'm, I'm prideful. But he says in verse 16 that he was made an example. And that word is not a great translation, it's, proto hippotus Greek scholars know. Basically saying, I am the example. It's where we would get our word prototype from. He said, I was made an example for you. Because I was the worst, I'm now being made an example. Because what he says is in grace is because I was the worst, now Jesus has made me into this new thing inside. My heart is new. And I'm the best example of all of it because I was out there killing Christians. And I'm the best because of what Jesus has done. I can say that because because I was so bad, I can say that that's how good God's grace is because he's made me so good in my heart. And I love it because in verse 17, he just bursts into this worship song basically. I mean, that's all it is, is an outburst. It's not like it moves the point along. It's not like it further exemplifies what he's trying to say. He just says, to the king eternal, to him be all glory and praise and honor. It's like if you understand truly what grace is, you literally, it doesn't make you timid. So if you're saying I'm the worst, but I'm the best, it's not like, well, but I'm just gonna disappear into the crowd because I have nothing really valuable to say. It's the exact opposite of that. It is, I was the worst, and because of that, I'm the best, and the best is because Jesus, to him be all praise and glory. I am now the exact example that you need to see, that if God could do this in my life, think what he could do in yours. I was the worst, I'm the best, and then he teaches us how he was made the best out of the worst, because he says it in verse 15, that this is a trustworthy saying that deserves complete acceptance to this world Messiah came, sinful people, to reclaim. That the world has claimed you. And Jesus didn't come to, when you think of Jesus reclaiming you, he's not taking stuff away from you, he's taking you away from stuff. He's not removing you out of the world, he's reclaiming you inside of the world. He is a, like an explorer and saying, I am claiming this land, this heart for Jesus. And so it's not about being some giant buzzkill to say, well, I, I, I got to do away with all this stuff. It's about him saying, no, I'm rescuing you from this stuff, the sin that so easily besets you. And the way that he did it, it's implied here, but it's super specific in 2 Corinthians 5, that he who knew no sin became sin so you might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. He didn't come to teach you. Confucius came to teach you. Buddha came to teach you. Muhammad came to teach. Jesus came to save your butt. And the teachings of Jesus, aside from his salvation, miss the point entirely. Because then it's just a bunch of stuff. But his salvation of your heart is everything he that knew no sin became sin he didn't become sinful and do sinful things that's not what it says he became sin not the verb but the noun when you watch these summer movies and now i guess even into the fall the christmas movies that are out and you see star wars and you see general snokes is that what his name was snokes snoke apologize he was like a cardboard villain, as is often the case in a movie like this. A card that's so evil, there's, there's no conflict inside of him. He's just evil and he's dark. And the reason is is that when the villain in a movie like that, the, the summer villains, the worst of the worst, whether it's the Avengers movie or whatever villain it is, that when they are destroyed at the end of the movie, what do you do? You cheer because it, that guy got what he had coming to him. Jesus wasn't made a cardboard, uh, wasn't made the conflicted. He was made sin. He was made snook. He was made the absolute worst of the worst, the picture of it. And because he was made worst, you now are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your heart, and anything else we talk about in this coming year of reclaiming your life, if it's just about techniques that don't change your heart, then you're, you're just gonna take another lap around the crazy train. And Jesus says, I don't want to ride with you on that train. I'll meet you at the station. But get off the crazy train. Let your heart be changed. And then, because Paul talks about his heart. This is the heart. He went from worst to best in his heart. But he says that I blasphemed, I persecuted because I was what? I was ignorant. And the ignorance in our lives is what we keep doing some stuff because we just didn't know any better. For some of us, the way that, I think it was Bob Goff said that the the battle for your heart begins on your calendar. And what I think the deeper issue of that is that a lot of the things that I'm trying to do to schedule myself so busy is I'm trying to fill this big hole in my heart. And now for some of you, you've kept your calendar completely vacant because you don't want to engage in any of it. So either way, your calendar is telling you what your heart is, what's happening in your heart. And what I believe that Jesus wants to do is to heal your heart so that you're not filling up your calendar with all kinds of stuff. To to put it differently, in the beginning, the garden, fruit was taken from the tree. And it was taken by Adam in a secularist mentality that says, "I I will decide what is good and evil. I will be in charge. I will be my own sovereign. That is one ditch of this. The other ditch is that I'm going to try to put the fruit back on the tree I'm going to fix the problem now. I'm going to be my own righteousness. I'm going to take care of this. You see, Augustine was amoral. He was like a sexual liberation. He was the guy that, that Paul would have gone around picketing. This is crazy. This is false. This is, and here's what, what, what this is really saying, is that both sides have the same underlying engine, which is I will be my own Lord and my own sovereign. And I think sometimes... What we're filling our lives up with is some weird attempt to try to put the fruit back on the tree. To say that this was broken and I'm going to make it right. Could Paul, man, could, you talk about a guy that could have scheduled his life. I don't want to see Stephen, that's too awkward. Like, his, I mean, Stephen's widow and her children because I, yes, I watched her husband get killed. He's a guy that was brutal through people in prison. He could have lived his entire life trying to make something right that honestly would have never been made right. So when he says, I'm the worst, but I'm the best, he throws away toxic shame, which is toxic shame for the most part is I'm trying to put fruit back onto a tree that it can't go back onto. And Jesus says, I don't want to make you, put you in a position where you're putting fruit back on. I'm going to make you the tree. Psalm 1, if you get in the word, you're going to be like a tree planted by the waters. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Instead of us trying to put the fruit back on or take the fruit off, Jesus says, I'm going to make the fruit come out of you. The fruit of the spirit, joy love, peace. And that starts with the heart change. And anything else we do, if we don't start realizing, with realizing that, then everything else is futile. But the other side is Paul saying that I was ignorant. I just didn't know. And when we talk about reclaiming this year, our goal is to say that, hey, look, I talk to young parents all the time. I talk to old parents and we're trying, like the world is changing faster than we are. We're, we're looking at technology, we're looking at how many hours is enough, we're, all these things that we don't know, we're trying to figure it out, we're, we're ignorant trying to learn. We're, we're, the world has been ignorant, like this morning in the Wall Street Journal was an article about Facebook and Zuckerberg trying to figure out he wanted to bring the whole world together with Facebook, he was going to connect them all, and his logic was, if all of our opinions could be heard, we'd be a much more unified world. <laughs> he didn't read First Timothy 1, he didn't know. Now he said, well, now we got to figure out how we can become more unified as a world. But the point is, is we didn't know that. We, he didn't, he's literally two billion people. He doesn't know how to, un the genie's out of the bottle. He doesn't know he was ignorant. We're, there's places in our life where we're ignorant. And there are places where we can say as a church, our hearts are changed, and now we're going to do the, the journey. Paul's was 14 years. I don't know what yours is. Mine has been like 30 years. I'm saying, this year, in your finances... Especially if you're a college age kid, you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life. We we want to we want to show you what the Bible says about money. So, starting in February or last, Sunday, uh, last Wednesday in January, we're going to host a Financial Peace University class, and we want you to sign up for that and say, "You know what? I didn't know this. I didn't know. I mean, I grew up with no money. You know, if you, you know what you do if you have no money. You don't budget. Like, well, that was all. It's gone now. I didn't know. I was ignorant." If you grew up in a home where nobody really taught you about marriage, I, I don't know. I've been married 23 years now, and I swear to you that there are days when she'll say something that come out of her mouth and be like, "I did not see that coming. I was completely unprepared for that." And you men know that this is true. Paul said it: marriage is a mystery. <laughs> like I'm sure that's so true, but learning about that journey for us. And so in February 9th and 10th, Joe Beam, Dr. Joe Beam and his marriage helper workshop, which by the way, in a normal setting would cost you $1,500 to go through this weekend. We're giving it to you for free on this weekend. February 9th and 10th. You, my marriage is great. Just sign up anyway. Spend those two days with us working on our marriage. Working on becoming wise, moving from ignorant to wise. And then starting at the last, uh, I think the first Sunday in, in February, Tom and Lori Carr, are you guys here this morning? I don't know if they're here. Tom and Lori are just, man, they're just Jesus people. They just drip the Holy Spirit. And they, man, they just talk parenting like crazy. They know Jesus and they know parenting. So on Sunday mornings, we're going to have a, add an extra little session for parents to sit together to learn from Tom and Lori and to learn from each other and to put a flag in the ground and say, I'm reclaiming my family. I'm reclaiming my finances. I'm reclaiming my marriage. That is our New Year's resolution for 2018 in Conduit, and I want to invite you to be a part of that. Stop trying to put the fruit back on the tree yourself. Let your heart be what it is. Let it be changed and reverse it and realize I am the tree and let the fruit of the Spirit grow out of that while we're now learning just practical information about it. And Mo is going to come down here and tell us how we can sign up for these things. You can sign up for all three. You can sign up for one. They're not going to conflict with each other. I would maybe suggest you pick one or two and not all three. So you. there's some
1: changes you're going to have to make in your life. Hi, Mo. Hi, Darren. Clipboards. We have one here. We have one on that side, we have one in this corner, and one in that corner. So four clipboards, and it shows the three different classes that we just talked about, the parenting class, Financial Peace University, and the Marriage Helper Weekend. If you want more information and you want to get registered, go ahead and leave your email address in in any of these. If it's all three, awesome. If it's just one of them, great. But we will email you this week all the information that you need to register for for all of them. And they're they're all... um, going to be happening at the end of this month, like you said, the parenting class is the last Sunday of January, and that'll be during second service, so during this service, 1030, we'll be meeting in the basement, and that'll go for February and for March, and then like you said, FPU runs nine weeks, that'll be the last Wednesday of January, and go through February and through March, and then the Valentine's weekend, essentially, is the 9th and 10th, right before the 14th, but the 9th and the 10th, that Friday, Saturday, it's three sessions, Um, it's free for all couples, so we really encourage you to, to jump in to any of these. If you have any questions, come find me, come find James Boyd. Fill out your email here, and we'll make sure to get you the information this week. Awesome. Would you stand to your feet?
0: It was Luther that said, the gospel says that you're more wicked than you've ever believed, and you're more loved than you ever dare hope at the same time. There's an old poem by George George Herbert, and he says that all you who pass by, this is Jesus speaking from the cross in his poem, all you who pass by, behold and see, man stole the fruit, but I must climb the tree, the tree of life to all, but only me. The work that Jesus did on the cross was complete, and it totally transforms your heart, and he says, I'll give you a new heart, I'll put a new heart in you, and then he invites us to change our minds. Romans 12 talks about renewing your minds. There's a, there's a process for that. And by the way, it's awesome. The journey of it, think about it. If you just knew everything already, how boring of a life would that be? But he allows us the opportunity to spend our entire lives exploring and learning the greatness and the wonders of God after changing our hearts. And I'm challenging this year to move your mind from selfish just a little more to selfless. From immature, move the needle just a little more to mature. As we, the Bible, the fancy Bible word for it is sanctification. Jesus just called it rebuilding. Let's reclaim our lives while Jesus has reclaimed your heart. Jesus, we give you glory. We're so thankful that we can look at ourselves honestly with the most unique self-image on the planet and say that I'm the worst. And because I'm the worst, I'm the best because of what you've done, Jesus. Lord, would you forgive us for the moments where we have blasphemed you by attributing stuff to you that you didn't do or say. We did it when we were ignorant. We receive the mercy for that. And as we move now into our coming year that we will be rescued, not in our hearts, but in our lives by your word and by your promises for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.